Well, it's live radio. It's WPKN 89.5 FM on your radio dial. I have a husky mid-early evening voice due to um, the seasonal affective throat disorder. And I am Duo Dickinson, and this is Homepage Radio. And with me is Rod Richardson, who has not only mechanically repaired his microphone, but digitally reconditioned the entire entry of this. So there's only a minor discord at the beginning of this exclusively live and beautifully spontaneous program. Rod, how are you? Yes, do I'm I'm fine now that we've got everything uh, back back on track. <laughs> Good this God. never happened in the old studio. Who's the architect of this damn place anyway? Oh, you you can look at your look, go look in the mirror. Oh, you, damn it's it. all your fault. I hate that guy. Yeah, yeah, well, self-loathing is a thing. It's, it's you know, it's a way to get through life and and it's a way that I find makes things really pale in comparison. And it is at the end of a of of a year, but not the end of COVID. And I think it's time for us to think about really the next home because we're thinking about the next year rod if you had to say if there where where you live if there was one thing that you said god damn it in in 10 years i would like bleh to be part of my home what would it be uh i'm not familiar with bleh but (laughs) (laughs) i i don't i don't know you know i i have a strange relationship with my home i i um i i live there but i don't see it <laughs> so um, you know, I'm 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 just so much not there when I'm there uh, <laughs> that it's hard to imagine like things that it's lacking and and uh, you know. So I would have to say I have I have no idea. Although I suppose, well, no, I have no idea. Literally, no idea other than probably things that will make it easier for me to be there as an older person because that certainly seems to be where I'm heading. Well, I hope you get older because otherwise you would cease to exist. So so. I, I, your, your responsive quality is, I think the way almost everybody feels about their home, except for the group of people that are always been around these futurists that actually sort of think about homes as a direct manifestation of both our loathful, horrible, you know, uh, humanity in terms of tenements and, and, and bad ways to live and, and energy profligacy and all these bad things. Or they think homes are our salvation, the things that are going to save us. Well, so this this week on Homepage Radio, what we're really talking about is the next home, the new home, the home that is beyond where we are. And we have three incredible guests. And I think it's appropriate because, you know, 2021 is ending. I mean, it, it may be finally, maybe the true ending of the 20th century. You know, that has lingered on somehow with the baby boomers like me that seem to keep pressing it into the out years. But I think this time of growing daylight, this time, you know, where we've, you know, been through uh, Hanukkah and, and we will go through Kwanzaa and today's the first day of the Seinfeld, uh, a holiday, which I'm spacing on the name, Festivus, right? Festivus. And to Christmas is around the corner. And then there's uh, Kwanzaa and then there's Eid. And there's, there are all these human things that project us beyond ourselves. And the home is an extension of just us, but it's also an extension beyond us. And that's why homepage exists is to think about the fact that the home is uniquely human and it also projects us into a different place. And, and that manifestation has meant that, you know, over time, you know, recently, they thought geodesic domes would be the way we would live or blow up a balloon and, and, and cast concrete around it or bury the house or make a teeny tiny house on wheels. Even just the smart house that was such a huge thing around Y2K, where, where the idea would be that we wouldn't have to do anything. And now we've got Alexa, but we certainly don't have the homes of the 1920s where they really thought in surveys that we would be groomed by robots in our homes. I think that's because actually um, homes almost never follow 
what are the leaders of taste and futurism's conspiracies or fantasies. I think Holmes, you know, follow who we are already and project that. You know, it's, it's, it's as if the one continuous rule of the last hundred years since we all started thinking about this when we could is the homes have just simply gotten bigger. There've been some dip backs during uh, big recessions, but the truth is our homes just keep getting larger and are in America. Anyway, our families keep getting smaller. So beyond that, this last couple of years, I guess of the pandemic of the plague has meant that we've actually questioned one of these seminal goods about living together as people. We've questioned, is it really good to have density, the people next to each other? Is that really a good thing, all a good thing? Well, we've done a bunch of shows on that. And sure, it's much better if we save energy, conserve, create community. But we now have to think about putting an asterisk by density because we also have to make it safe density. Well, that oxymoron of having endangerment by clustering people during a pandemic and safety by clustering people in our culture is one side of a coin which has been really obsessed over the last, well, really two or 300 years maybe, with how our homes can be better because we want to be better as people. So where is the future of the home going? And what are the near and far futures of this weird time. Well, I've been able to contact a bunch of people I've been working with recently uh, on different projects in Canada, Europe, and that weird foreign country, Boston, to give their visions of how and why homes will or might change. So we have Or Etlinger coming in from uh, Slovenia, and he may be in England rather than Slovenia, but he's in Europe. And we have June Commissar, who is Associate Chair of Ryerson University in Canada's program. And we also have, uh, in architecture, and we also have Ann Sussman, who is not only a registered architect, but an author. But she's at the Boston Architecture College and has really done, I think, incredible work on just how the heck do we perceive our homes. That essential reality of how we perceive our homes is how we think homes will end up getting better. And I think like Rod was saying, most of us just are grateful we don't get rain coming down our backs and the heat goes on when we turn the thermostat on and that we can actually have a warm meal and a soft bed. Those are, those are what almost all of us really care about. But there are times when our egos go beyond that and maybe our vision goes beyond that. And we think about what is the future of our homes and where we live. And that's really the point of today's program. So when we return, we will be talking to June Commissar on Homepage Radio. Thanks for coming in. Welcome back to Homepage Radio. Now, Homepage Radio is on the last Thursday of every month. And this is the last Thursday of the last month of 2021. And we may be in the last month of 2021, but we're in some mid-month of this pandemic. And that is not what we expected. And that means that it's probably time where we probably go back into our caves a little bit. We actually think about what's going on. And... That usually relates to not only what our hair looks like and what I'm going to have for dinner, but also what do I want out of my home? Well, actually, in the 1950s, Popular Mechanics wrote an article that they thought every single thing in the home, everything, would be waterproofed. Waterproof furniture, waterproof radios, waterproof children, waterproof carpets, because people would want to clean their homes with a gigantic hose. So I would imagine there'd be floor drains. Well, that level of kind of craziness is 
with us all the time. And it's because we care so deeply about homes for ourselves, but also think that homes actually go beyond us and somehow are a litmus test for our entire culture. Well, today on Homepage Radio, I've brought in some people that really think about the home in ways that you know most of us don't. One of those people is June Commissar, and she's a licensed architect in Massachusetts, and she is the, a professor and associate chair of the Undergraduate Student Affairs in the Department of Architectural Science in Ryerson University in Toronto. And she also teaches a variety of things that envision the post-carbon city or creating, or creating adaptive, adaptive reuse co-housing in, in that density zone that I was talking about earlier. So June has re- really thought a great deal about homes. June, welcome to Homepage Radio. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Duo. It's a pleasure to talk with you. So you are, from everything I can glean, something that's completely invested in thinking about architecture and homes. How do you think homes are used how do you use homes? How do what are homes in the act of learning about our buildings and students and just people? Um, that's a, a good question. Um, in the last few years, I used the home um, in in several different design studios to get students to think about um, uh, to what imagine what the the minimum requirements for a comfortable home in a small urban neighborhood would be like. Um, mm. And um, this, uh, this, the last time I used it, um, it was in 2020, as tent encampments were growing across cities across the globe, and it was the beginning of the pandemic, and it was very alarming, and tent cities were growing in uh, Toronto as well. So mm. I asked the students to look at what would it be like to transform a parking lot into tiny home communities for themselves as students? What would they need for a comfortable, minimal, wonderful home that would emphasize community for themselves that would then be handed over to a housing insecure person afterwards? So it had sort of a dual purpose. And it highlighted to the students what they thought were the basics for a comfortable, enjoyable life, as well as what makes a good neighborhood with shared public space and recreation and a kitchen garden and all that sort of thing. And mm. what what they deserve as people who, at the moment, of course, our young people are complaining that they can't afford even a basic apartment. Well, it, what's really interesting about um, that approach to homes flips the dystopian fear that people have that cultures, you know, unraveling that the world is out of control, that not only is there a pandemic, but there's a threat to democracy or there's a threat to our culture from doesn't matter what political perspective you might have. People are often very afraid of their futures. And that results in things like um, safe rooms inside of homes where you can lock yourself in, in case there's a home invasion. And, you did the inverse with your students. You said rooms are almost a luxury. Homes are the direct extension of our personal lives. And you brought the homes outside. What do you think that, yes. what, what do you think that, that bringing the homes into the world means in the temperate climate of Canada, where there's real cold and bad weather? How do you, how do you, take that universal desire to be part of the world with the home's need to dissociate us from it? Well, it's interesting because the students were bringing to the project their desire for privacy, which is almost the desire for, let's say, a safe room. Yeah. But um, as they started to design, um, as, uh, as, as, um, so design studios are, are usually in groups of between 10 and 16 students or so. And so as they were designing the little community where the lot was this sort of urban parking lot, they realized that they had more if they collaborated ah that and so they had and and if they designed their shared space they would have more hmm. and that was a big enlightenment for them and also to be able to rely on your neighbor 
is a really important thing. So you're not isolated. Because fear, I think, is uh, comes from isolation. Well, this is and this the is... other thing that. Oh. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was going to say the other thing that gave them a sense of more is that spaces were no longer dedicated spaces. Uh-huh. No, it wasn't a bedroom or a kitchen, but they were transformable spaces within their tiny homes. Well, what you just said, you know, makes an enormous amount of sense in terms of the humans that are dissociate from any given culture. But in America, you know, and I hate to use this phrase because it's both sexist, dated and um, weird. Uh, but a man's home is his castle. Your take, I think, is the inverse of that. Am I right? Yes, I think, um, well, um, we're seeing, I think, the rise of interesting things like co-housing, which has private spaces that are very private, but then also shared spaces. So, And and even in um, apartment complexes and condo complexes, it's the shared spaces that people really start to enjoy, like the the gym and the, the community space when you can have people over because the pandemic has receded or, you know, these public spaces that alone people could not afford to have their own private gym, but together they can afford to have a lot of wonderful amenities. And I think that this is, um, that it's true that I think that the home, the man's home is his castle is a, is a, an interesting, but outdated, um, scenario that, we're going to have to discard. Well, I think, as you know, I do a little competition for build the Building Beauty Program in Sorrento, which or Ellinger is part of, and and um, in that we ask just like you did for a tiny little home design from students from all over the country and maybe a little bit the world. In fact, we have had some people from around the world. And uh, what is interesting is that the people that are not American say to me because I sort of run the competition, can we do something that's not on a naked site? And I go, well, of course you can. But the truth is, I think there's an American thing, and WPKN, I think, is in America. Right, Rod? We're in America? You think we're... That is correct. Okay. Although we're global. We're global and at the same time. Exactly. So so there is this thing, I I think, that Americans have a unique vision of the home and the world. Do you think I'm right? Um, I, I think that you are sort of right, and I think that that has been copied elsewhere. I was mm. often shocked that when I go to other countries, I can see that this idea for a standalone single-family house it has been um, uh, has been embraced by mm. other countries as well, including Canada. Um, but uh, I think that. Um, one of the things that we find very charming when we go abroad is um, a, a kind of the mid-rise density of a walkable urban environment, mm. which is cozy and charming that uh, that we have to travel across the ocean to find. Mm. Well, this is you know this really this this sort of I guess appropriation of the uh, westward hoe uh, sixty what it's sixty acres in a mule American past of the. 19th century great western expansion um that that idea that you could expand your your your, who you are to control and 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 define what's around you whether it's a home or or the earth around you is something that may be reaching an end in terms of our resources in the long term but in the short term the pandemic has seen a lot of people leave a lot of cities to find that level of isolation so I just ask, like to ask you as somebody that really has thought about this in abstract terms, you know, that most of us haven't, do you think the home reflects where we are and where we're going to go? And if it does, what do you think, not about the next hundred years, but what do you think about the next 10 years, even five years in this post-COVID time, if we ever get there, uh, this post-COVID time where we are reassessing what we value in our homes? Well, I think in the next five years, well, a lot of people who who um, left and went to um, northern Vermont, as I, I know some friends of mine did, yeah. um, I think they uh, because they have to come back sometimes because the, they're, they will probably have to commute to work again and their 
children are uh, really tired of going to school over Zoom. Uh, so I'm assuming that they will reconnect. And But the nature of housing, I think, has changed so rapidly during the pandemic mm. as people turned even the tiniest homes into workspaces and classrooms and gyms and the, the multi-purpose space, what used to be a living room or a kitchen or or a bedroom is is is, is now um, a classroom and a, or a broadcast studio. The basement becomes a student's classroom. The, the space under the dining table becomes a the broadcast uh, space for, I think, one of the NPR um, uh, 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 um, uh, broadcasters. It's, it's, it's very interesting how we are really rethinking what our, our home spaces uh, look like and operate because we'll be working from home more, even well, if we're not working from home all the time. That's a great lead into this last question for you, which I think is actually the bigger one is, is the sort of century question, which is, you know, these are micro inputs, things like home learning and, and telecommuting and, and all that. Uh, and even that the, the teeny tiny home multitasking every possible cubic foot in every single space we live in. Um, but what do you think beyond these trends and uh, immediate uh, exigencies of a plague or maybe in the future, a war or a depression, what do you think is the arc of where homes will be maybe long after you and I are dead? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I, uh, well, there's two things, I think. Um, one is that we are connected into a multitude of global villages that we are connected online to each other in mm. very complicated ways. And we have now the technology to project environments that can change our environment that we're in at any moment. So perhaps some people will live in very technologically um, projected spaces. So they could be, you know, in, in the desert one day and in the mountains the next day. Um, but another possible trend uh, is the opposite can also be true, that the home could be a place that is where we retreat from overstimulation, from technology, an unplugged oasis. Mm. But uh, I think if the pandemic taught us only one thing is that people are social and that they need people. So perhaps, I hope, mm. the future of the home is in its relationship to neighborhood and community. And I, I look at Minneapolis as a potential um, bellwether for what's going on. They changed recently their zoning law to increase density just a little bit. So you could put um, three units on a single-family house so you can subdivide your house when energy costs start to become expensive or your your parents or your children want their own space instead of living with you because they're um, adults now. So we need to keep watch over what I think what Minneapolis is doing. They've changed it in 2018. It could be one piece of a solution to providing more affordable housing and and um, slowing our negative impact on the planet. Well, June Commissar, it's great to have you on Homepage Radio. Hopefully we'll do it again. And I think that we should know that Connecticut passed a law that, you know, did about, took a bite out of that single family home thing where they're encouraging uh, what are called uh, accessory dwelling units. So in terms of the zoning, so it's, you're not alone, even though you're way up there in Canada, you're not, you're not alone. <laughs> and, and it's great talking to you on homepage radio. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Have, have a great day. Thank you. And when we return, we're going we're gonna to go from that international perspective, that academic perspective, to actually thinking about how the heck do we perceive homes? Where does all of this reaction come from? I mean, humans are the only ones that really think about this. So when we come back, uh, I'm going to talk to maybe the world's leading expert on how people see buildings and that's Ann Sussman when Homepage Radio returns.
Well, welcome back to Homepage Radio. I'm Duo Dickinson. I'm an architect. I write some things. And every month I am blessed to be anointed the possibility of talking to everyone at WPKN 89.5 FM on your radio dial and streaming at, w, at PKN, WPKN.org. And this place only exists because of the listener support that we have. There are no commercials. There's one or two paid employees. And we just fundraised and created a new studio that I'm sitting in now with Rod Richardson. And if you like this, if you like the idea that there could be programs like Homepage Radio and a place that the New Yorker magazine called the greatest radio station in the world in just this last August, I would ask you just to go to the website, take a look at all the things that WPKN is doing and actually see if there's a way you can help WPKN just by participating in it in any way. Money is always great, but also humans are good too to help make this whole world better through things like WPKN radio and on homepage radio, which we do once a month, the fourth Thursday of every month uh, live, by the way, which is somewhat terrifying um, we really look at the home as a place not of styles and DIY and trends and all this stuff. We think of it as a natural extension of the human experience, both exquisitely idiosyncratic to each one of us, but also unbelievably universal for the entire planet. Every person has a home, but every person's home is that person's place. Well, that dichotomy of universality and idiosyncrasy embodied in each home that every person inhabits, I think is a direct reflection of the human mind and how it is distinct from other beings, brains that we have here with us on the planet. And that begs the question of how do we, and why do we really care whether or not we are in a burrow as long as it's warm and there's no water dripping on our heads and we can sleep safely and not be attacked. Why do we want to go beyond that? Or what forces us to even think of things beyond survival? It, one of those things that is just like food, clothing, and then the big one shelter as being the big three of the human condition. Well, there are too many people that I think have, sort of called time out on all of those styles, trends, aesthetic uh, niceties that are, that are almost always self-serving and retroactively um, affirming of somebody's pre-existing beliefs. Beyond the rationalization, scientists are actually really looking at how we look at everything, right? But Ann Sussman is not just only a scientist. She's also a registered architect, and she is also teaches at the Boston Architectural College in Boston and has written a couple books, Cognitive Architecture, Designing for the Way We Respond to the Built Environment with Justin Hollander. And she also is president of something called the Human Architecture and Planning Institute, which I think I want to be on the board of, Anne. So I'll just let you know, because I just like the title. I have no idea what you do or what's going on. But, but, but here's the big question, Anne Sussman. How do we see buildings? Oh, my God. Thank you so much, Duo, for doing this, uh, for cramming it into the end of the year. This is just so important. I can't believe what you put together here. Okay. <laughs> your, your, your passion and your commitment and your caring for how we build really shows through in this show. This is just amazing. Thank you. So your question is, how do we all see buildings? Well, we see them like the animal we are. Mm. <laughs> mm. And you said something brilliant. They're a direct reflection of the human mind. Uh, they are. That they are. Um, it's kind of hard to understand it in a way. Reality is a construct between your eye and your mind. And mm. so your brain is kind of, because of evolution, is preset to look for specific things, mm. um, and, you know, including people. Right. <laughs> We're right. a social species. And preset to feel at home in certain spaces and not at home in other ones, right? Mm. Mm. <laughs> Well, you know, this is really interesting because, because, you know, like you, I are an architect and uh, I design things predominantly. I've designed homes over the last 40 years because they're just 
the most wonderful things to be part of people's lives to help them make things. But, but we we do tons of buildings that have nothing to do with homes. And those buildings have got that same level of hope and fear that a home has. But I personally think homes are exquisitely different in the way we all think of them. Do you think there's a, cause you've done a ton of research on this. Do people see homes differently than they see, or maybe their own homes differently than they see other buildings? Well, that's that's really really interesting. I mean, I think that's a, that's a huge question actually, and that specific question hasn't been asked. Ooh. I think sometimes to because the human brain is so complex, you sometimes have to ask really really simple questions like how do we attach or where do we mm. look, and. Um, and, and one thing you learn, the first thing you learn, actually, that's a kind of mind-boggling, um, is that our subliminal brain, our unconscious brain, is, drug, is directing us much more than we realize. Oh. The, the advertising companies, the tech companies, the car companies all know this. Hmm. The architects are starting to learn <laughs> it. I don't think it's a good or a bad thing. I'm not sure what that means. Well, it's a little scary. It but is. yeah, your subliminal brain, it's your unconscious brain is really directing you more than you realize. It's how it works. It's yeah. a problem with being an, a mammal, right? It's, it's evolution has determined how we're going to see the world, and, and it's unconscious processing really is directing us. And the tech companies and car companies, advertisers have to know that. So that's why, if you ever wondered why... Um, um, not to not to get extraneous here, whatever. Why all logos tend to look like faces, whether it's yeah. Kentucky Fried Chicken, Amazon. You, you know, it doesn't matter. It's all going to look like a face because subliminally the human brain is hardwired for relationship. <laughs> you could make, and, a, you could make and a case needs that to see faces. And actually, I've asked people before my talks That's... before COVID when you could give talks. I talked to <laughs> seven hundred people. And at different talks in in the United States and one in Berlin, Germany, and I asked people before the talk to draw a house like they're a five year old. Oh wow! Draw a house. Yep. And it, and then tell me on the other side of the card where you were born and raised. Oh. And it didn't matter if they were born in Spain, if they were born in Guatemala, if they were born in Berlin, if they were born in Bermuda. What people did, I'd say 85% of the time, is they drew a building that suggested a face, bilaterally symmetrical, pitched roof, two windows that look like eyes, centrally placed door for a mouth. Amazing. You know, you think about... that, that, that's what's so fascinating to me, is that basically what a house is supposed to look like, and it didn't matter... People were from Africa. They did the same yeah, thing. People yeah. from Morocco did the same thing. It had a little bit of a different kind of flair to it, the Moroccan house, but it was exactly the same. It suggested a face. <laughs> well, that, would, that would actually be a really interesting little book where we, you could take every country in the world, now with the internet, and you could get people or a person from every single country in the world to do that. And just having the, what, 200 different houses drawn by non-architects saying what is our home would be a really interesting cross-reference. And what I hear you saying is almost like there should be a worldwide um, uh, motto that we, we, we profess in architecture, which is, it's all about me. <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of like everything's like a direct extension of us. And, and I was going to, this is where it gets weird because human beings are a binary. They're, they are obviously the way they were, in, in you know in imbued by their creation whether it's you know a, a god or whether it's soulless science and accident you're imbued um, with these genetic markings of consistent respo- response and also for provocation but there are things that happen in the human condition which are just unprecedented i think in the rest of the observable biosphere. And one of those things it was, I read an article preparing for this show that said about a hundred years ago that, that we sort of forget this about a hundred years ago, electricity invaded our homes. Yes, It was a bizarre thing. And it actually meant that we could actually have telephones and communicate with people. It also meant that we could actually refrigerate things. And ultimately it meant that we could actually cool the air or warm the air in a more efficient, simple, quiet way than we did. Now, those things, those things like electricity that turn night into day and all that kind of things with lighting, this, I'm, I'm not going to hold you to it. You're not going to lose your tenure because of this. I'm going to, but I'm going to ask you a question. How has, how has things, you could say technology, but that, that's a dodge. 
How have the evolutions in the way humans live affected our perception of homes? Oh, I think it's huge. <clears throat> I think it's it, what you're saying is absolutely right. And I think it's strange, though, because what I'm seeing, too, I can't believe what you just said. Because when I was thinking of talking to you today, I would think the big thing isn't really about architecture. It's about the AI, the artificial intelligence, mm, mm. and the Internet of Things coming into your home mm, now. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? About the refrigerators that, yep. that will tell you when the when you're out of milk? Well, you could make about, a weird, you could make a weird case that that you know it, the quote unquote it's all about me motto would actually extend to everything in our homes that are created by humans for humans that the things the 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 Internet of Things actually is all about me <laughs> that, that right, humans are creating other humans you know because we're meant to connect with each other oh. and now we're connecting more with devices oh. so like the first thing when my husband gets up in the morning he talks to the google um, <laughs> the google the google speaker you know in the kitchen and he says google tell me about my day he doesn't talk to me he talks <sighs> to the kitchen speaker man man <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, that's something that makes makes me quite quite Freddy scared. Uh, well, it is scary what the way AI is coming and 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 it, it, it's the artificial intelligence and the way it's going into all our devices to yeah. the point that you wonder will there be architects? Well, I, I don't I don't think I think architecture as it is now is a dead profession. Walking, it's going to really change because of that, but also just I think because it's always changed and, and every, you know. It doctors, doctors, a hundred yeah, well, years yeah, ago, were different. Been in flux, but I see things moving it now that are just huge, unbelievable. Well, in this last few seconds we have with you, I'm going to ask a very simple question that has probably no answer, which is, how do you think we'll see homes differently when this next COVID freakout finally is a memory? How will we see homes differently? Well, I think homes now, in some ways, they've been reified, or they've people now really want to have a safe space, mm, mm, you know, people yeah. are really talking about in a safe place where they can work, yeah. the work from home, um, WFH now is a word, <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen this before. <laughs> And the idea that now my husband, for the first time in 30 years, someone was telling me about her husband, he now works from home, and that's the way it's going to be. And they, they, they're repurposing mm. their, 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 their home as a, as a multi-place office. You know, mm. that, that's, that's a big change. Man. Well, you know what, Anne? It is phenomenal to have you on the program. We'll do it again. And thank you so much for being on Homepage Radio. Well, let's do it, and let's work with the Human Architecture and Planning Institute. Let's get it together. I, I wish I wish I even understood what it was. It's it's sort of it's sort of like uh, we're talking about Seinfeld. It's sort of like the Human Institute or whatever that that uh, charity that was invented uh, by by uh, Costanza. But anyway, so, yeah. <laughs> so 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 Anne, thank you so much for being on Homepage Radio. Thank you for coming up with this. Talk soon. Okay, so when we come back, we're actually going to go across the water to someplace in Europe. It's either going to be Slovenia or England or somewhere. And Or Etlinger, who's one of the most interesting architects that I know with really broad perspectives on many different things, has been thinking about the home, well, because he's an architect, he's been thinking about it for his entire life. And I think that perspective that would not be your or my perspective here sitting in the studios of WPKN, that's something we need to hear at the end of this year, the beginning of a new year, but also when probably, once again, we're going to be forced to live in our homes for a little while, more than we would have expected. So we come back on Homepage Radio or at Linger. Welcome back to Homepage Radio. My name is Duo Dickinson. This is WPKN 89.5 FM on your radio thing. Used to be a dial. Now it's a pod or something. Or maybe just your computer. So this is Homepage Radio that comes around once a month and talks about the home not as a prop for decoration or DIY or selling stuff or or whatever. It talks about homes, as we were just talking to Ann Sussman about, that they really are direct extensions of us and how we are and what we make of ourselves are almost immediately 
embodied in how we live, and that means our homes respond to that. So in this strange way, homes are both universal. Every single human on the planet has a place that they call home. And they're also incredibly idiosyncratic because humans are idiosyncratic. They're, they're, there isn't this broad sweep of control and predictability and um, automation, which allows us to just be pods in the matrix. We actually are these independent sentient things that still have common perceived realities. And one of those common perceived realities between besides food and music and, and, and things that are both essential and completely not essential those perceived realities all include the built things because we need them to live. And pretentious people like me call those things sometimes architecture. Well, architecture is not just about the designer and it's not about the people that say this is good. It's about every one of us because we all use it. And, and many of us create it, even if we don't think of it as being design, we actually just make things and one of those people is a brilliant, and I would call him young only because he's younger than me. He might be, you know, he might be 50. I don't even know how old he is. But he, but anyway, he he is actually, or Etlinger, is an assistant professor at the University of Ljubljana in Slovenia. And he also is a, uh, was a member of the Humboldt University of Berlin's Interdisciplinary Library. And he is and was one of the founding members of Building Beauty, something I'm associated with in Sorrento, uh, Italy, which is based on the writings of Christopher Alexander, who's this amazing uh, human uh, that did a timeout gesture perhaps 50 years ago and said, you know, stop. Architecture isn't about style and individuals or a specific culture. It's embedded in every single human's head and heart, just like Ann Sussman was saying, and before that, June Commissar. So he's really a theorist. Uh, he really thinks about big picture thinking. And that's why I thought it was great to have him on the last segment of this show, because I think he might be able to tell us, or are you there? God, please say you're there. I am here. Hello. Thank God. It's, it's, it's from Europe. This is an incredible breakthrough presence in live radio. Um, or, it, if, if homes are universal and homes are idiosyncratic, we are, I'm asking you as, as an American, how do you think homes are different in Europe than they are in America? Well, obviously, America has many different places in it, and, and so does Europe. But if we look at, at very broad strokes, then we can say that whatever segment of the economical ladder you look at, some patterns appear that are different between mm. these two areas. So there are three examples come to mind. First of all, the size. U.S. houses tend to be much bigger. In mm. Europe, they tend to be much more modest. Like the number of rooms. I, I've visited America several times, and many of the people I know, not necessarily the rich ones, they have a living room, a den, a billiard room, a ping-pong room, one room for collections, <laughs> and things like and almost every room has, and almost every bedroom has its own bathroom. Okay, maybe not everyone has them, but at least there's a cultural expectations for it, which in Europe is very rare to find. Mm. Another consideration is the durability of the construction. So ah. typically European houses tend to be made of stone or brick or concrete, less commonly out of wood, but even when they are made of wood, it's more massive wood, like logs or multiple mm. layers of material high level of insulation. So, for example, the level of construction and sound insulation in American houses, even the richest ones, would be unthinkable in Europe. You would hear so easily from one room what mm. happened, what's happening in the next. Interesting. Another consideration that comes to mind is, is, is you might call it the permanence, that a house is not a, a commodity that you build, you buy, you sell. It's more often something that is handed down from one generation to the next. Mm. And the houses, they grow, they develop over time. So, you know, a house might start as an 
old tool shed by the field and it's given to one of the children and they add the kitchen to it and later on uh, when they have children of their own they add another bedroom or two and a generation later their own children add another floor maybe a terrace in front and so on and and mm. and that's part of what gave these houses their charm that they, they grow organically Mm. Um, the mansions, as as I've heard they are called in America, they're attempts to, to simulate the end result of this kind of growth, but without going through the actual process that, that, that made it happen in the first place. Well, that fascinating distinction of trying to actually control time and actually have the end product while avoiding the mess of the, of the uh, creation of that end product, to me is a direct extension of what and what Sussman was talking about, the fact that our brains are really projecting us. They, they, in that projection, we were thinking maybe has something to do with the way uh, the Internet of Things is developing, where your refrigerator and your car are basically you, are other beings that are just direct extensions of you. And what you described to me in the way you think about homes or people, not you, people think of homes differently. And I'm sure it's different in lots of cultures, whether it's America or China or anywhere. There is a, there is, has to be either deductively or inductively, there has to be uh, a reflection or projection of values. As you're looking from your perspective, and especially in the perspective of this weird worldwide plague, what do you think the values of the home are now that we've been through some sequestration, but also we're in the 21st century. Where do you think homes are now in almost the worldwide perception that it maybe is a little different than it was before? Well, I can tell you more about some trends that I see going on. Obviously people are much more aware of their homes at the moment than they might've been uh, yeah. before the pandemic. But in terms of where things are going, and in this sense, I don't see it necessarily different in different cultures. Mm. But I see two two major trends that are developing now in parallel as two ends of the same, over the same spectrum. One trend that seems to be emerging is the idea of high-tech prefab houses. Mm. Amazon is into it, plays into it, probably some other companies. It's the ultimate dream of what high-tech can do for you. It's like having an iPhone but that you could live inside of. Hmm. It's, it's the industrial mold, you know, take the industrial mold to an extreme, enhance it with the sophistication of high-tech. And it's incredibly attractive for some people. You have, you have all your needs optimized for you in, in, in the ultimate product. Uh, it's the peak of human ingenuity. It's embodied in matter, delivered to you from a factory. doesn't matter where you are. Hmm. On the other end of the spectrum, um, a trend that, that I'm aware of is a rediscovery of traditional construction methods. Mm. It's kind of like the do-it-yourself approach, but on steroids. Because <laughs> it's not just about self-sufficiency. Mm. It, 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 it's, okay, it's a self-sufficiency, but, but it's, it's even more than that. It's about the realization that much of the older construction techniques that, that we left behind in favor of industrialization, they were actually, in many ways, superior to the new construction yeah. techniques. So it's the whole idea of, of low-tech methods. And strangely enough, it turns out to be more sustainable than anything that current technology can offer. Not just sustainable in the sense that, that it's efficient from the point of view of how much energy, energy is wasted and, and energy doesn't, heat doesn't leak or whatever, but also the energy and resources it takes to construct it. It's right. Like the life cycle sustainability is, 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 is higher. Well, you know, those... They're both attract, attractive trends, but... They, they reflect different values. And, and you and I are thinking the same way. There, there are trends, and you could really, and I, I totally understand where you're coming from in terms of the desire to do something in, in home building that is not ephemeral and not McMansion, but is actually, there, there was a movement, and there, it's still there. It's from the Midwest. It was called Slow Architecture. I don't know if you've heard about it. But it's the idea that, that things are, are, are not built instantly. They're, they're actually thought about and are more classic than they are trend. And Clay Chapman in Oklahoma is building buildings now with three brick layers because he wants it to be the thousand-year house. That's his devotion, the thousand-year mm-hmm. house. Well, 
those things to me evidence something which, um, as, as we're thinking about closing out the show, I'd like you just to simply, from your perspective, which is a broader one than I think I for sure have, and maybe the people listening, these broad perspectives are worldwide, but they're also idiosyncratic, and they're at this weird time. You know, the days of this particular year are getting longer. The pandemic is extending. We're not at anywhere yet. There's, a, there's something out there that we may never realize, but we're trending as opposed to arriving. Tell us what you think will be an arrival place of homes that we could maybe say, yeah, that's what's really changed, say, in the next generation. That's a very interesting question that I, I explored it with a group of students last year. Mm-hmm. Even though we looked even further than just a generation, we, 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 look, we looked more a century or two or even more, but the, the, the results were very surprising. Because we, we went through a process of becoming aware of our own cultural conditioning so that we can really look into the future um, free of, these, of this conditioning as, as much as possible and have at least a chance of developing a realistic vision. Mm. And after many weeks of, of discussion, here's what we arrived at. We were looking for, for a vision that, were, that would be optimistic, but also realistic, not, 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 not ideal, but kind of still realistic human life, but on the optimistic end of the scale. And how would we build and, and, and live in a few centuries from now? And here's what if the aggregate vision of, of all this, this group of students together, here's what they arrived at. So people live in small communities, in harmony and symbiosis with nature. Everyone's an architect, and the corollary of that is architects are, or whatever the equivalent of that in that future society, would be people who are involved or leading the, the construction process. Mm-hmm. Building standards are unified. Buildings are not trying to impress. Forms are simplified. And structures are adaptable and made out of magic biotech materials. <laughs> now, you, you, now have, you, have, you, have, you have to wrap this up in about three seconds because we're about ready to be cut off by the computer. So, so tell us okay, what... One sentence. One sentence. The joke is that vision is actually as existed before. Stone, stone villages in the south of France or Mediterranean, uh, adobe villages in Africa. We've been there before. This vision, this high-tech structure they're talking about is wood and mud. There you go. The, 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 so we're closing the circle. 